0: All right, Acts chapter 28. Now, I do have to confess to you this morning, I am a little bit sad today because this is our last Sunday in the book of Acts. Oh, some of you are excited about that. You're, you're ready to move on out of the book of Acts. I, I've, I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together going through the book of Acts together. I trust that you have as well. And uh, at the end of 2019, the Lord had put it in my heart to, to go through Acts and Obviously, not knowing what lay on the horizon for 2020. And when the whole world shut down and things got a little uh, strange last year about this time, we had to make the decision are we going to continue going through the book of Acts like we felt the Lord asked us to do? Or are we going to stop what we're doing here on Sundays and and do some sort of pandemic series or something? And we chose we're going to do the book of Acts. What we saw was that week in and week out, wherever we were, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, it seemed like the Lord was just speaking to us in all of the events and all of the circumstances, and we saw how the church in the first century pressed through even in obstacles and challenges, and they leveraged their faith and put their faith in God, and God came through for them. And that message spoke to us uh, every week last year as we went through the book of Acts, and just so happens that as we are coming, I believe, coming to the tail end of this pandemic, as we're seeing more and more people, uh, the cases dropping and vaccines going out, and I'm just so thankful for all of those things, amen? That also we're coming to the end of the book of Acts together. So I'm a little bit sad, but nevertheless, it's still in our Bible, and I can read it any time that I want, okay? So I just want to remind you where we're at. You remember the Apostle Paul, he was traveling as a prisoner from Caesarea, to Rome. He was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. That's the only reason why he's in jail. And he's been falsely accused of crimes he didn't commit. And he had been put in jail for two years, two years in jail for a crime he didn't commit. And now he was being transported by sea from Caesarea to Rome to stand trial before the Caesar there. And he did not have smooth sailing. There was an incredible storm. Uh, they suffered an incredible shipwreck. And they, he just swam to shore. And, and that's where we pick up the story here in the last chapter of Acts. Paul has just swam for his life in the middle of a storm after a shipwreck and gotten to uh, sea, the, the seashore, He had gotten to land. And so this is where we pick up the story. And it says, verse one, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness For they kindled a fire and welcomed us because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his arm. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases all came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Putili. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome." And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. Remember, Paul had, about three years prior to this event, he had written the book of Romans to the the church at Rome. Though he had never been there, he had a great desire on his heart to go and visit them. And then that that church would help send him further west into Spain on a missionary journey. And so this church has has had that letter from, from Paul, the book of Romans, for about three years. And so they come, when they hear Paul is in Rome, they come and they visit him. And upon seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. It encouraged him when he saw these believers. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that Guarded him. Paul is on house arrest, and since it wasn't like today where they could just put an anklet on you and keep you in your house, they put a soldier and and strapped a soldier uh, to Paul who guarded him. uh, A a group of soldiers rotated, uh, guarding him 24 hours a day. And it says, After three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. Remember, Paul's habit was that he would go into the synagogue. The first thing, first place he would go in any city was he would go into a synagogue. Well, he can't go into the synagogue and minister to the Jews because he's stuck in this house. And so instead of doing that, he brings them to him. And it says, when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me free because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, that's Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Just want to highlight, it's not a new thing that Christianity is spoken against. That's, that's not a new thing, okay? So just, it's, just, it's just part of what we signed up for when we said we'd follow Jesus. So that. Um, being unpopular with the world is just part of what it means to be a Christian. So, verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him. So all of these people come to him from the Jewish leadership. And they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and The prophets. Now I just have to pause here and say that there have been a few times, a few times, in my ministry where I have been accused of being a long-winded preacher. And I just have to highlight for you the preaching of the Apostle Paul. How long did he preach? From morning until evening. And I'll also remind you in Acts 20 that Paul at one point preached all night. And that even somebody fell asleep while he was preaching and fell out of a window and died. Which, of course, is the, you know, saying don't fall asleep in church. It's just not a good thing to do. That may, it is, I know that by today's standards, we typically spend a little bit more time in the word than than probably other churches. I know that a lot of churches only devote about 20 or 30 minutes to the word of God. But by the Apostle Paul's standard, if you get out before sundown, you're doing good. Okay, so I just, I just have to highlight that for you. So don't accuse me of being long-winded because I'll, I'll, just, I'll just bring you back here and say, I'm, I'm very brief compared to the Apostle Paul. Okay, and some were convinced by what he said. So they believed in Christ, but others disbelieved. And this is the reaction we've seen time and time again through the book of Acts. Some believe and receive the gospel, but others harden their heart and disbelieve. And a disagreement arose among them, and they departed after Paul had made one statement. And here he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will never hear And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, having much dispute among themselves. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, as we spend a few times in a a few moments here in your word, that you would press your truth deep down into our hearts. Lord, in a world of confusion, in a world of deception, in a world that denies the fact that there even is such a thing as truth, Lord, we anchor our souls to the truth. We anchor our souls to your word. We anchor our souls to the word became flesh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who himself declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, reassure our hearts of these great truths. Lord, as we look at the events of of the Apostle Paul's life and conclusion of the book of Acts, Lord, that we would see your sovereign hand and how you are working through all of the events of our lives. Just as you were working in Paul's life, you're also working in our life through the good, through the bad, through the ugly. Lord, help us to live for you, to bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, three things, uh, three headings, three points uh, to share with you today. The first one is shake it off. Everybody say shake it off. It, it, listen, sometimes we go through things in life and we just need to shake them off. The Apostle Paul gets bit by this snake. And I have, to, I have to confess to you, at this point, is that's the point where I might just have lost, lost it. I mean, everything that this man had been through up to this point, Just just the most immediate, the most recent circumstances, you know, being arrested and put in jail for two years, falsely accused, having multiple attempts made on your life, finally setting sail for Rome, and you go through one of the worst storms that you've ever been through, worst shipwrecks. You finally swim ashore, you're gasping for air, you know, almost drowning in this storm, and you're actually pitching in to help gather some firewood. And you put the firewood in the fire and this viper comes out and attaches itself to you. I think I would have just said, really, God? Seriously? Seriously? That's, what, that's how my day is going to go today? Like, what, what else can go wrong here, God? But I also want to remind you of just not just these immediate events of the Apostle Paul's life. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to flip over there quickly, Paul gives a list of some of the things that he had been through in his ministry. Starting in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says that he has suffered countless beatings. Countless beatings. And I have to say that I don't think those two words should go together. Countless and beatings. Yet the Apostle Paul endured so many beatings that he says, I have lost count of how many times I've been beaten for the gospel. But he says, I have, some, I have kept some count on some other things, and so I'll give them to you. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That was a, 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 a torture treatment, a, a disciplinarian treatment of being whipped 39 times with this incredible uh, uh, series of, of whips, 39 times whipped, and he endured that five times. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Now in my book, that's three times too many. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Now remember, the apostle Paul is writing this well before the events of the story that we're reading today. So Paul's shipwreck tally has gone up by one. Now four times shipwrecked, he could also add in here bit by a viper, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This was a man who truly, truly suffered for the sake of Christ. And, and, I just, I have to confess to you, sometimes my attitude is not the best. Sometimes we go through things in life and I say, serious, God, I know that you are sovereign. I know that you are in control. Couldn't you have just sort of arranged that a little bit better? You see, we kind of think that we know how things ought to go in our lives, don't we? We we have a plan. We have an idea. We we have a, a way that we think things ought to go. We see Mary and Martha, the the sisters of Lazarus, Uh, when Lazarus passes away and and Jesus comes, Mary greets Jesus and she says, Lord, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's telling Jesus how he should arrange his calendar and his schedule. I know none of you have ever done that or thought about giving God pointers on, on how to run the universe. We see Job, even in the book of Job, giving God pointers on on how he ought to run the universe. But we got to keep in mind that we are not God. And here Paul, this viper comes out, strikes him on the arm. It bites him so uh, strongly, it it, it sinks his fangs into his arm that it's it's there dangling from his arm. That all the islanders see it. But Paul doesn't do like many of you and even myself would probably begin to do. Call 911. Right? Get me to a doctor. This is an emergency. It's, he just shakes it off. He just shakes it off. Oh, it's just a snake. <laughs> oh, well, no big deal. He just shakes it off. It's this amazing mentality, this, this trust that Paul has in the Lord. And so oftentimes we find ourselves worrying, fretting. What about this and what about that? Especially when we find in ourselves in situations that are beyond our control. And if the year of 2020 taught us anything, it taught us that there are so many events and situations that even govern our lives, that are 100% outside of our control. Have you learned that? And what worrying is, it's, it's, it's fear of the future. It's, it's fear of what could happen, what might happen. What, it's, it's worrying, it's, it's being afraid of what might never happen. And Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't worry. Paul doesn't fret. Paul doesn't go into a panic. Why? Because Paul trusts in God. Paul trusts in God. And he just simply shakes it off. Say, shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. You see, worrying, fretting, letting anxiety grip your heart, being gripped by fear, worrying only makes things worse. Worse. Worrying always makes things worse. There, there's nothing that worry accomplishes. It doesn't make anything better. Oftentimes, where worry creeps in is when you can't do anything about it. It's just this constant fear and spinning. If you have Matthew 6, flip back over there. This is Jesus talking to his disciples about worry. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Why don't we have to worry? Because God is our Father. God is our father, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, the creator, God of the universe. We call him father. That's why we don't have to worry. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his span of life? saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that's that's the world, the world's way of thinking. The world, the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow, tomorrow will worry for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus here says that worry is a result of a lack of faith in God. A lack of faith. Unbelief. Doubt. Worrying is fear and unbelief disguised oh, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. We, we throw that word out so casually. Jesus says, worry is the same as unbelief. It's a lack of faith in God. Jesus commands us in this passage multiple times. He says, do not worry. Do not worry. And so if Jesus commands us not to worry what does that make worrying? It's a sin. It is a sin to worry. Jesus says, Don't, don't put your eyes on, on, the, the, on the things that you might lack. Put your eyes onto your Father who will take care of you, who will provide for you, who is sovereign, who rules and reigns over all things. Oh, you of little faith, don't worry. Trust in God. Trust in God. And that's why when Paul, going through the storm, going through the shipwreck, bitten by a snake, he can just shake it off. He can just shake it off. There are so many people who are so afraid of of so many things today. Worrying only makes things worse. Worrying will paralyze you it it will it will freeze you up with fear where you you say well if I do this then that'll happen and if I do this then that might happen and if I do this well what about this and what about that and the next thing you know you you just you're stuck you can't go anywhere right now the world is in that state I've been pray for me and forgive me but I've been reading the news and um, I know it's a horrible thing it's a bad habit I need to break but anyway I've been reading the news and, and over the last week, one of the things, of the, uh, one of the themes that came up over and over and over again on, on different websites, on different news agencies and different authors, but the same sentiment was being communicated across the board. It was this idea and I'm trying to think of how to encapsulate it, but, but people were saying things like this, I'm afraid to be optimistic. I, I know the numbers of the virus have plummeted. I know that herd immunity is, is sweeping the country because so many people have had it. I know that the vaccine is, is rolling out in record numbers, but I'm afraid to be optimistic. I'm, I'm afraid to be hopeful. I'm, I'm afraid to, 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 put, to, to be happy and to, to think that this is a good thing. And listen, Christians, we ought to be the most hopeful. We ought to be the most optimistic people on the planet. Why? Because the future is bright for the believer. Amen. Amen. The future is bright. We cannot become paralyzed with worry and paralyzed with fear. Worry is doubt disguised. Now, Paul, here in this moment, I believe he is being attacked, but he's not being attacked by a snake. That's not not the attack of the enemy. The attack of the enemy is the temptation to doubt God. That is the attack. God is sovereign. God rules and reigns over all things. You, you, you you, You can never convince me that God could not have stopped that snake from jumping out and biting Paul. Paul knows who his God is. He knows that Jesus Christ rules and reigns. So the snake comes and bites him and he says, I'm not going to fall for this temptation to doubt God. Nah, my God shall supply all of my needs. My God is in control. My God has promised me that I will stand before Nero and I'm just going to shake this thing off. God is in control. He can do with me whatever he wants. This snake is not going to bother me one bit. But we let all of the fears and all of the worries and all of the concerns of this life I'm not saying that we ignore them. I'm not saying that when you get in your car, you just close your eyes and say, Jesus, take the wheel. My guy's going to take me to where he wants me to go. Yeah, I mean, he'll, if, he'll take you right into a telephone pole if you act like that. No, we, we don't, don't be stupid, but don't live in fear. Don't doubt that God can take care of you and that he will take care of you. we got to shake some things off of us if we're going to fulfill The Great Commission, we're going to fulfill the calling that God has on our lives. Listen to what James says. What does James say in James chapter 1? Some of you groan because you know where this is going. But it's the truth. James says, count it all joy, my brothers. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you get a promotion at your job. When the stimulus comes through. No, count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Why can I count it joy? That sounds like a bad thing. For you know. The problem is most of us don't know, don't fully believe this next statement. James says the reason we can count it all joy is because you know that the testing of your faith Produces patience or steadfastness. In verse 4, and let, everybody say, let, let steadfastness or patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The reason we go through tests, the reason we go through trials is not because God is mad at us, not because God doesn't love us, not because that we have done something wrong. That's what the islanders think. The, the islanders, the, the natives, they, they, they're living with this sort of karmic worldview that, you know, oh, Paul, man, he must have been a really bad guy because he got bit by the snake. So many Christians live with that mentality when they face hardship and trials of what did I do wrong and and God is punishing me because of my past. Listen, God doesn't punish Christians for their past because Jesus Christ took our punishment on the cross. Amen. It's when we have a confident assurance of the salvation of God that when we go through things in this life, we say this is only a test. This is a test of my faith. God is not punishing me. God is perfecting me. God is purifying me. God is sanctifying me. God is making me more like him as I go through the fire, as I go through the trial. This is God's working in my life. And so I will count it all joy. I will say, thank you, God for testing my faith. Thank you, God, for for leading me on and guiding me on and giving me the strength. And that's the wonderful promise that we have from the scriptures, that God will never leave us or forsake us, that he won't abandon us and that he's given us his power and his spirit in our lives to overcome every challenge, to, to rise above every obstacle, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. We know these things. We should know these things. It's it's this truth. Jesus says, "You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free." It's this truth that we know that sets us free. It, when the whole world is bound with fear, we say we will live by faith. We, we will not succumb to the paralyzing effects of worry in our life. We. We will let the Lord, let the Lord work in our lives. We will humble ourselves when we go through tests and when we go through trials. Look, I don't like going through this stuff. It's not pleasant. You know, Paul wasn't sitting there being beaten with rods and just saying, wow, this is the best day of my life. No, it hurts. It hurts. But what you hold on to in the pain is that God has a purpose in the pain. God has a plan in this. And the enemy will not be victorious in my life. And I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to work it out. But we know that God works all things together for the good. We must remind ourselves of these truths. Now look at what happens. Look at what the result is. What's the result of of Paul being bitten by the snake? What's the result of Paul being shipwrecked on this random island out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea? What's the result of Paul having to go through this great storm? What's the result of Paul being imprisoned? Well, what happens on this island is a great revival breaks out. This great healing revival breaks out. And it wouldn't have happened if Paul hadn't been bitten by the snake. It wouldn't happen if they hadn't gone through the shipwreck. It wouldn't have happened if Paul hadn't been through the storm. It wouldn't have happened if he hadn't been thrown in jail. Yet God's work among these Maltese people is amazing what happens. This, this leader, the, 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 the chief of the island, his dad is sick. And Paul says, really, let me go in and pray for him. And he prays for him. And he's healed miraculously. Everybody else is bringing all their sick people and all of them are healed by God. Now Luke doesn't tell us specifically, but if we've learned anything by now about the Apostle Paul is he takes every opportunity he has to preach the gospel. Amen. And so Luke doesn't tell us specifically, but I know that Paul said, this isn't done by my power. I am not a God, but let me tell you about the God who is in heaven and by whose power he has been healed and you have been healed. His name is Jesus Christ. And I have no doubt that a huge revival swept across that whole island. But it was because when the snake didn't come out, when the snake bit Paul, Paul didn't go, woe is me. My life is horrible. Look at my life. What a disaster. My life is literally a shipwreck. My life is is not just one shipwreck. It's shipwreck after shipwreck after shipwreck. Why do I bother? Why do I go through all this? If God can't even stop a snake from biting me, why am I going to trust in him? Yet how many Christians go through so much less with that same attitude towards God? We need to learn from the example of the apostles. We need to learn from the example of Paul. Sometimes we just need to shake some stuff off into the fire and keep moving on with what God has called us to do. The snake is just a distraction. It's just a distraction. Paul says, I'm not going to let that bother me today. I got to preach the gospel to these people. I can't get sick and die today. I got to share Jesus Christ with these people. This doesn't fit into my agenda. We need some people in the church today to arise in faith and say, I got to do what God's called me to do no matter what obstacle stands in my way. And what we see bringing us to point two today is that God is doing good things during bad times. God is doing good things Even in the midst of bad times, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even in the midst of all kinds of opposition, God is still working. God never stops working. Jesus said in John chapter 15, my father has always been working and I am working. And so no matter how bad things get, no matter how crazy things go, no matter if we feel like our life is burning down around us, listen, in the midst of it all, God is still working. God is still doing good things. God is still accomplishing his purpose. But we have to take our eyes off of the situation and put them on God. We have to take our eyes off of the problems and keep them on Jesus Christ. Listen, we've seen it over and over again all throughout the book of Acts. Obstacle, challenge, hardship, a, a, a persecution, but they keep pressing on. They keep marching forward because they, they, they just believed what Jesus said. He said, go into all the world. And they said, well, I guess we better do that. He said, I'm going to fill you with my power. They said, we're going to trust that God's going to give us the power to overcome. And they just believed God and they kept moving forward. Worry, fear, It's unbelief. It's doubt disguised. We need to let our faith in God arise. If there's one truth that we could press into our hearts, it's that even in the midst of bad situations, that God is still working and that God is still doing good things and that he is still accomplishing his plan and his purpose. This snake that comes out and bites Paul The the islanders say this is justice. This, This is a demonstration of justice against this man. But it wasn't justice. That snake was the grace of God in disguise. It was because of that snake that a revival broke out. It wasn't justice, it was God's grace. We must think through the events of our lives, trusting and knowing that God is working through them. But we must surrender to him We must surrender to his work. We must say, God, this is a test. And I'm going to let this work. Your plan work out in my life. Paul seizes his opportunity for the gospel. And revival breaks out on this little island. Next, Paul makes it to Jerusalem. Paul in jail. Paul, Paul chained to a guard. the commentators say that the Roman guard would would change out and they would work in four-hour shifts. And so every four hours, a a new guard would come in and and the old guard would unhook himself from Paul and the the new guard would come and and attach himself. And I can can just see the the situation as the new guard comes in and the old guard is on his knees crying and just saying, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He untouches and unhooks, and the new guard's like, what got into this guy? And Paul's like, hey, it's good to see you. I'm I'm here to tell you about Jesus Christ. Every, Every 24 hours, six guards would come through and be chained to the Apostle Paul. I would submit to you there's never been more blessed prison guards in the history of the world than those who were chained to the Apostle Paul. How do I know that this is what Paul did? Well, number one, we know Paul and who he was, but Paul actually writes about this in Philippians, Philippians chapter one. Listen to Paul's perspective on what had happened to him. Paul, of course, writing Philippians from jail in Rome. This is what Paul says, Philippians chapter one, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know. I I want this truth to be pressed deep down into your heart, brothers, That what has happened to me, what had happened to him? Falsely accused, put in jail for two years, shipwreck, snake bite. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Well, what's the result of all of this? The, the, the whole imperial guard, the whole prison guard, they have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even brothers who were afraid of imprisonment and afraid of what might happen to them if they preached the gospel, seeing now Paul's example, they are emboldened themselves. And so Paul writes to them and he says, look, I want you to know that though these situations and circumstances might on the surface look bad, what has actually happened is very good. Why? Because God is working even through things that we think are bad. You know what Paul also did while he was chained there for two years in Rome? He wrote the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, Philemon. These four epistles, these four, four letters that are in our New Testament canon today. God used this time, these two years, where Paul was sitting there in chains to write the inspired word of God for us. Flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Don't worry, you'll get out before sundown. Don't worry. <laughs> 2 Timothy 2 Verse 8, Paul writing this, again, bound in Rome. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Listen, though we may find ourselves bound by certain situations and circumstances, sometimes what we must remember is that the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not chained. The gospel of Jesus Christ must go forward and we must share it no matter what situation and circumstance we find ourselves in. There are opportunities for the gospel all around us, especially in difficult times. Paul could have so easily become discouraged. Paul could have so easily have said, woe is me, I can't go anywhere, I'm stuck to this prison guard, just had a bad attitude, a sorry attitude. But that's not what he did. He said, I know that God is in control, I know that he rules and reigns over all things, I know that he's called me to preach the gospel, so I'll just do it wherever I can, however I can. I can't go out, so I'll bring people in. That's what he did. And so often, again, even in our world, what we see is that the church is falling prey to fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, and just sometimes a bad attitude. May we be inspired by the example of Paul that didn't let the circumstances outside of him get into his spirit, but that he maintained a pure conscience, he maintained a faithful devotion to the Lord, and he ended up running his course and finishing his race. There are opportunities all around us to share the gospel, especially as we live in these difficult times, especially as people in our world have lost all hope. Listen, there's no hope in the world, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. We have that hope. We have that message. Finally, the end. We come to the end. We see that Paul is there for two years. And the book of Acts ends somewhat abruptly. Luke doesn't tell us what, what happened to Paul after those two years, but from church history, the example the, or the, the, the historical record from church history is that after two years, Paul was released. Now, what did Paul do after he was released? Well, of course, he was in Rome, so he retired to this beautiful villa on the sea and he just lived out his days, kicking it back, taking it easy. No, no, no. Church history tells us that after Paul was released from Rome, that he did exactly what he had originally a plan to do, that he went further west into Spain, that he continued his missions work, he continued his church planting efforts. None of the obstacles, none of the pain, none of the beatings and whippings and lashings and shipwrecks and storms and snake bites had stopped him, had, had ruined his resolve. As soon as he was free, he went about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ again. Now, also from church history, we know that a few years later, about two or three years later, after Paul was released in A.D. 65, a great persecution arose against the church in Rome. And that in A.D. 65, both Paul and Peter were martyred for their faith in Jesus under the emperor Nero. And that their story came to an end at that point in time. As we've gone through the whole book of Acts together, what we've seen, though, is that it was never about Peter and it was never about Paul, but that it was about the risen Christ. It was about the risen Savior. It was about Jesus. In the very first verse, Luke says, I have written in my first book about all that Jesus began to do and teach, saying that Jesus, the book of Acts, is now the story of Jesus continuing to do his work in the world today. That the saints of God, the church of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, overcoming every challenge, overcoming every obstacle. Yeah, it's not fun going through it. Yeah, there is pain and there is heartache, but there's also the power of the Holy Spirit alive inside of us that carries us through. This story has been about Jesus working in the world through his church and by his Spirit. And likewise today, our risen Savior and Lord is still working in the world through his church and by his spirit. Jesus is working through me and you if we will let him. If we will let him. God is still writing the next chapter of the book of Acts through faithful saints in the world. The baton of the gospel has been handed down to us throughout the centuries. It's been passed through many different hands and it's been put in our hand. And the question remains, will we be faithful? Will we run our race well? Will we finish the lap we've been given? And will we hand the baton off to the next generation? Will we be faithful? Will history look back on us in 2020, in 2021, And will there be a story of the saints of God, of the church of Jesus Christ that pushed on, that labored on, that that didn't quit, that didn't throw in the towel, that didn't drop the baton, that didn't falter or fail, but pressed on in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray to God that history looks back on us in these moments and says, the church moved on, the church labored on. The church didn't give in. The church didn't quit. I know you are here today because you are running the race. You are not throwing in the towel. You are not quitting. Though The events and the circumstances are a challenge. We press on. We run our race. I'm reminded oftentimes of those in my own life and even in my own family who ran the race before me I think of my grandparents and my parents and, and how they've passed the baton of the gospel down, down to me and to my family. And it's our turn and, and we're running our lap, but we also better make sure that we're passing it on, that the, 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 there is a generation coming up behind us and, and we are putting that baton in their hands. Maybe you have have family members that went before you. Maybe it was a grandmother that shared her faith with you or prayed with you or or your mother or your parents or your grandparents. Think about them and think about their example and think about how they ran their race with faithfulness. It inspires me and I believe it will inspire you. Maybe you say, well, I'm the first one in my family to become a Christian. Great, awesome, run your lap and run it hard. You're starting a new family legacy, you're starting a new family tree of faith. Be ready to hand that baton on, that legacy of faith. As we look back over the book of Acts, we've seen the church press on, we've seen the church overcome, we've seen the church in the face of so many obstacles, not give in and not quit. And we must look at their example and say, we too will press on, we too will run our race we too will pass the baton. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us, though there are things in our life that are challenging, times in our life where we may even feel we're being attacked. Lord, remind us that we just need to shake some things off of us. God, that the church would arise in the confident assurance that even in bad times that you are still doing good things. Though the events and circumstances may may be against us, you have promised that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Lord, we know these things. Your word teaches these things. Press them deep into our hearts. Forgive us for doubt. Forgive us for unbelief. Forgive us for a lack of faith. Forgive us for worrying and letting fear creep in. Help us to not put our eyes on the situation, but put our eyes on our Savior. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, defeated death, giving to us new life and forgiveness of sins. Lord, by your help, we will run our race. By your help, we will be faithful. We will press on. And we will hand the baton to the next generation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.